Welcome to episode 212 of the Win6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. We're going to game seven, Jordan. That we are. I mean, not specifically you and I, although we will get to that later. Uh, but the books are going to game seven. We will be talking about a game seven. Uh, for the first time in in our time covering the books, um, it's you know recent years haven't always been all that fun. Just generally over the last few decades, you know, game sevens to to get to seven games. I think you'll find Jordan. The team has to be in the series, right? <laughs> Which hasn't always been a common occurrence. I mean, last game seven was twenty ten against the Hawks. Uh, before that, you're talking about going all the way back to, of course, a very infamous Game 7, which was 2001 Conference Finals. But here we are, Jordan. Are you ready? I am ready, Freddy. Mercury. You were at the game again? I was. So, once again, we haven't really talked about what we saw. What were your impressions from being in the arena what did the energy feel like? What did the occasion feel like? Of course, it may still be the final game ever to be played in the Bradley Center. That it could. Um, it was very packed. Everybody was energetic. Uh, not many seats unfilled. Uh, that goes to show you just it was a true sold-out crowd, and everybody was pretty pumped throughout the game. Um it, I, it definitely wasn't a uh, well-executed game at times, but um, I thought it was kind of where it has steadily gone. Like the last, if you take like the second half of, of game four and then game five, I think it was kind of like those types of games where it was very gritty, um, gutting out uh, kind, kind of a victory for the Bucks at least. Um and there was a lot to like. Uh, if, if I thought the role players, I think on the home floor, they certainly looked a little bit more comfortable and they were doing, uh, you know, doing various things outside of just scoring. Like the fact that the Bucks won the rebound battle. And I know I wrote about it in takeaways last night, but or this morning that came out this morning. Um, there were times where <laughs> it's, it was certainly an adventure watching them try to secure the rebounds. And uh, there were, there were times where it looked like they were getting the rebound and then it would just, you know, fall out of their hands and then go to go back to the Celtics. But for the most part, they limited or they limited limited them off the offensive glass, which has been a problem throughout the series, especially in the Celtics' wins. So that was a big plus. I thought defensively, 
we talked about it in game one and a little bit of or a little bit uh, in game three, but that was a very big performance in terms of defense. And they weren't, there were many blocks. That was kind of the surprising to see is that like guys like Giannis, Giannis in particular, I thought, I mean, I'm kind of going all over the, all over the board, but defensively, I thought his presence really affected drives. Like Al Horford pa- passed up like drives to the basket. He even passed up one that was like a sure layup or even a slam dunk, and he passed it out for a three. And then I don't think it they swung the ball around, and I don't think the Celtics actually ended up making it. But his presence and Thon certainly had a block late in the game, but he was uh, altering shots at the rim. I thought that was the best without kind of having the enforcer, you know, the rejections and all that stuff. They were, it was very just kind of stay disciplined, stay with your man as much as you can. And sure, they did get beat on some possessions like that. And it's inevitable when, you know, the Celtics are working crisply. But defensively, I thought that was, you know, again, one of the best, better performances of, that we've seen for the Bucks on the end of the floor this year. Yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking this when I was, when I was watching it. I, I think in some ways, obviously, Game 3 and Game 4 had their moments, particularly Game 3 defensively, with the blocks where you go, well, that's as good a defensive performance as the books could put in. This is probably better in terms of just how disciplined that is, really. I mean, that's kind of what you were alluding to, and I think you're you're right just in terms of how difficult it was for the Celtics to get any sort of shots. And again... They made some really tough shots. Jason Tatum knocked down some unbelievably yeah. difficult shots. And if that's the one thing I think that at this point we've got to just rely on the Celtics make tough shots. You know, that's they've got lots of guys who can do that. But without necessarily having all of these blocks or having all of these highlight defensive plays, the Bucks were kind of actually in position and solid defensively. And we're not used to that. Even a lot of the book's best games on the defensive end, they come from forcing constant steals, rejecting everything around the room. Only six steals and three blocks. And they found a way to actually win and win with their defense. That's very impressive and very unusual for the books. I don't know if we could rely on that kind of performance coming in and repeating in the exact same way in game seven. But it certainly was interesting uh, for me. I think that makes it the best defensive performance we've seen from them in the, the series so far. Yeah, I, I would definitely would agree. Where do you want to go with this next? I mean, I think for me, we can do it now because I think it's the most, you know, it's the most obvious thing is Yanis. Or do you want to leave Yanis for a little bit further? Talk with some of the other smaller storylines, keep people waiting. What way do you want to do it, Jordan? You're, I'm going to let you guide it. You might have a different feel for some of these things as you were there in the flesh. Instant gratification. Let's go to Giannis. <laughs> um, this was the signature game we were waiting for. This was it. Game one's numbers, I mean, in terms of points, certainly. Did he have 15 rebounds in game one? Maybe in terms of rebounds as well. He certainly had a... He had just short of a triple-double, I think. So more assists... Whatever. The stats may have been more impressive, but the timing of when his impact came into play wasn't there. Um, obviously, the outcome wasn't there. And beyond the box score, I mean, as you mentioned, Yanis was causing havoc defensively, even if it didn't show up in the box score like it would from time to time for him. 
this was the game. The books, the books won on Thursday night because Giannis decided he wasn't going home yet. That's it. Really, it really is that simple. And it was the the first time in the series where it was just completely apparent. Well, you know, the books do have that guy, and he is capable of it. And he's he played very well. But this was that next level of, oh, you know what? I'm going to win tonight. You know, this was when we look at say what LeBron did in Game Five against the Pacers, and he just. <laughs> whatever about the officiating down the stretch he makes the block and he goes and knocks down a tree that's a level that only certain players have because that's just deciding you're going to win a game right it's not i'm going to do this and let's see if it wins me the game it's kind of no i'm winning this game that's what yanis game six performance felt like to me and that was very refreshing particularly because as we had talked about on on recent episodes there was kind of a feeling developing of, well, does he know that he can just go and get what he wants? Does he know that that's there? Because Ojale defended him no different to game five. He defended him pretty well. Uh, Baines had a nice stretch on him. Horford had some moments. And none of it matters because if Giannis just wants to score and he's aggressive with that, and if his teammates help him, which note on that, there still wasn't enough of that. Um, still too many spells where it's just guys standing around, no one setting screens, no one moving. But when all of those things come together, Giannis can just decide to go and score and win a game. And we saw it on Thursday. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, he was the difference in the game. Uh, I thought early on he was kind of a little bothered. They made his shots a little more uncomfortable. Didn't score um, until like 4.04 left in the first quarter. Yeah. And after those minutes, I thought he actually was really aggressive when he had like big switch on to him, like Aaron Baines or Al Horford. Al Horford, he torched on multiple drives. Like that, that got the better of him earlier in the series. But I think, you know, with enough time passing, you've played this opponent, played the Celtics for six games at this point. I think he knows his tendencies inside and out at this point, And he really made him pay on, you know, a lot <laughs> um and he just found these gaps and spaces and posting up he had a couple great fadeaways on marcus smart too marcus smart really i know he's a very uh polarizing player but defend defensively like he is it's different watching him in person than it is um on tv because he really is fierce he makes it so much harder just to like jockey for position and stuff like that especially if you're like posting up he is he he is uh it's only fueling my my soft spot for marcus smart for whatever See, reason when I, you say I he's polarizing know. like that's very much summed up by the respective feelings of both of us because yeah my feelings about marcus smart i mean i've aired out lots of times he is very much not my favorite player in fact he may be my least favorite player but mm. that's a testament to him, right? If he was if he was on a team that I was watching night tonight, I'd probably feel a little differently about him. That's that oh, said yeah. something. He's got a guy with an interesting summer ahead too. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right on that. I, I think one thing you touched on, which is kind of interesting, and I, I felt while watching it, by giving Yanis all these different looks and over a long series like we now have. I feel like the Celtics have kind of given Giannis practice against every kind of guy who can give him trouble. 
and all of a sudden he's better equipped to play a lot of those guys because someone like Bane, someone like Horford, someone like Ojale, all three of them, they fit a certain type that has given Yanis difficulty over the years. I don't feel like he's ever had the chance of just, oh, you know, repetition of repetition of repetition. Let's go against that kind of guy over and over. And you're right. I think that extends beyond Horford. That went to Ojale. There was one one moment in particular, and he actually ended up missing the shot. He kind of took a hook that didn't come off his finger right, ended up just a little bit short. But he had he had almost a moment of hesitation, and he just drove into Ojale's chest. Yeah. He's like, okay, he's kind of fast enough. He's not strong enough, though. So I can just kind of go a little bit through him, create the space. He did create the space. That's a shot he would normally hit. He didn't make it. But that was an instance where I was like, okay, well, that's not game five. You know, he's learned from game five. Well, I can just go and get this. And he only, from that point on, he only continued to go back to that and continued to be aggressive because there was no reason not to be. Um, that's very interesting. I think it also speaks speaks volumes of like Yanis' ability to adjust and adapt. In the series, we talk so much about coaching adjustments and changes I mean, it's on individuals as well. You're seeing the same kind of matchups, the same kind of problems over and over again. If you're the best player or you're a smarter player, you're going to solve a lot of them. And it's probably something that just doesn't get talked about enough, and we'd be as guilty of that as anyone because he's this freak athlete and because he can do so many things. Giannis is, a lot of the time, an incredibly high IQ player. Like, he really can read a game. He can pick his moments. He has moments where defensively he'll make not the smartest of decisions and he'll often get away with them because that's who he is that's what he can do but he doesn't get enough credit for his basketball IQ and I I think we're seeing bits of that and just how he's evolved and grown into the series and honestly I'm very very excited for game seven Giannis because there is a very simple element of this and this is this is kind of taking the talent argument that was there at the start of the series to another level and also just kind of clearing it out. And it's it's not just about talent and everything else. It's about, okay, there's one superstar in this series and the books have. So I think there's only one player on the court who could possibly decide game seven all on his own. And it's Giannis. And I think that's something that for the books is very encouraging, particularly coming in after what he's done in game six. And Honestly, at this point, I don't I don't think the Celtics have adjustments anymore for Giannis. I, I really don't. Like they, they have really they've given him all of the different looks. I think the only adjustment would be seeing Marcus Smart defend them more. And they've done that successfully in the regular season before. I mean, if they go to that strategy in a game seven, though, that is bold and as tenacious as Marcus Smart is. I think that's asking for trouble because Giannis can shoot over him. He can drive through him. Um, it's it's only if he gets sloppy and buys into Smart's game and lets Smart draw charges or pick his pocket if he's not quite focused. That's the areas that come in. Beyond that, I don't know what they've got. And look, from I mean, following game one, Brad Stevens has been very honest about it. Like, <laughs> well, you can't really stop that guy. He has said as much. You know, it's. He's going to get what he's going to get. We just have to do what we can to try and slow him down. We need to try to stop him. It doesn't mean we're going to have any luck in doing so. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I completely agree on your point about uh, basketball IQ. There were moments last night, the one in particular that comes to mind was Delhi shooting with like eight seconds to go in the third quarter on that last possession. I thought that was kind of 
a hurried shot too that was uncharacteristic of Delhi. Uh, but there was other times where Giannis kind of knew, especially in the fourth quarter, knew of when to go, when to strike, hold the ball for a little bit, let time like you know pass as they were before they initiated like their sets and plays and all that stuff. Um, he just was really composed. There wasn't anything out of or out of the ordinary aside from his you know kind of slow start and some shots that you, you wouldn't want him to take but it was still a stark contrast from game five where he's shooting putting up 10 shots and stuff like that he was right from the get-go he was looking for his own shot and that eventually paid off dividends for the bucks outside of Giannis, i mean moving on from that um they kind of got a lot of what they needed from everyone. It wasn't a perfect game from everyone. Um, Alex Bader for books.com, he basically wrote about this. Of, you know, everyone did something of what they're supposed to do. It may not have been quite as much as you'd like, but everyone did something. Everyone showed a little bit of something of what we associate with them. <laughs> maybe one exception, or maybe that person did show exactly what we now associate with them, but we can go back to that one again later. And uh, let's see, see what we finish podcasts off with now. But Chris Middleton, after really uncharacteristic turnovers early on, I believe he had four by the end of the first quarter, he settled in, he got his game together, and he shot the lights out. Seven of eight from the field, two of two from deep. Only 16 points, which pales in comparison to recent games. Um, but part of that is, I mean, yeah, the books could have gone to him more, and they should have gone to him more late. There's also, you know, everything ran through Giannis. And there is an element of, okay, well, you should get out of the way. Giannis was taking over the game. So I don't have quite the problems with not getting Middleton a whole lot late in the game compared to what we may have had in another circumstance because... This was the game where really lean on Giannis. You know, let Giannis go and do his thing, and it worked out well. But overall, I mean, Middleton, again, was just exceptional. His, his shooting is, like, it's really defying belief at this point. It's it's something else. And just the willingness. I mean, it's not, of course, it's not entirely within their control. The books are working for it. But the willingness for the Celtics to even give the possibility that Shane Larkin can end up mismatched onto Middleton at this point <laughs> is quite something. I mean, I, I honestly, Larkin, Larkin has done some really good things. I think he's kind of, he is a little bit underrated in terms of just ways he could find to influence a game. He's had some bad moments, um, some memorable bad moments, but he, he has generally, I think, been pretty good in the series. And still, I mean, if they had any other real options i think you'd have to consider just not having him on the floor when middleton's on the floor avoiding the possibility of having that switch happen expose him <laughs> yeah. and middleton has been exposing a lot of people he's done he's done it to marcus smart too i mean marcus smart hasn't been able to completely throw him off his game uh, game five was a good example of that where Middleton was less efficient. Smart certainly had an impact, but it wasn't enough. You know, Middleton was still making his shots and particularly down the stretch. He had some crazy ones. Encouragingly for the Bucks, he hasn't cooled off. He is right there going into game seven. Um, I think next, next two, I suppose we could possibly extend this out into a tier of three guys, but I think two played particularly well. One impacted the game, um, but it wasn't his best game. To start with the two that played well, we've got Malcolm Brogdon and we've got Jabari. 
Um, maybe maybe we'll lead off with Jabari because obviously we've talked so much about him. But as I noted in my grades piece on this game, if like ten days ago someone had told us Jabari was going to have a really meaningful impact in a playoff game where he only scored nine points, I don't think we'd have believed it. Because if he was only scoring nine points, we would have said, well, how is he contributing? What is the positive influence of Jabari on the floor? Again, he rebounded like a man possessed. He grabbed 11 rebounds, a couple of those in the offensive end. He defended generally very well. He had two possessions to stand out in my mind where he did completely just have you know mental breakdowns. But overall, he was as game as he has been the last couple of matches and... He was right there. You know, he's been he's been fully up to the task that I don't think any of us believed he could be. Doesn't make anything any easier or really change a whole lot in terms of the Jabari outlook and the complications involved. But again, Jabari delivered. I was actually a little bit surprised that he found himself on the bench late in the game. The Prunty went away from me. He only played 26 minutes. And I was a little bit surprised by that because 9 points, 11 rebounds. He was a plus 11. In his 26 minutes, I thought Jabari was very good, and he was good on the defensive end too, for the most part. Yeah, I, I, I there were some quibbles I had with his game. I thought he was a little kind of lacking energy. Whenever the ball swung his way, he wasn't really looking to attack. He was kind of in his floating, you know, world. But, um, you know, how the series started. Uh, just <laughs> the fact that we are f- so focused on Jabari's effort, which you know can come and go, wax and wane, waning gibbous, waxing gibbous. Um, that's been not. I, I don't think it's been fully restored. Uh, in terms of just you know whenever he's out on the floor, but pulling down eleven rebounds. Um, you know that was big for him and a lot of them were, were some of them were contested in my mind um i would have to rewatch the game just to see what he you know who was around him with the crowds and all that stuff um but and defensively i do i do agree there were times where he definitely did get you know caught ball watching but still made shots even tougher even pulled down um uh jump ball or was that offensive i can't remember he had some kind of play where he forced it could have forced it into into a easy like two point shot and he uh grabbed the ball and forced a jump ball which you know like his charge in game three that's something you don't really see that often so i would definitely say it was he did the things outside of what you'd expect from him you know if he's not scoring then you're like oh we're we're done here kind of thing but he he definitely bucked the trend uh for game six and moving on from Jabari then, Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, 27 minutes, not really heavy minutes load again. Um, but he scored 16 points of 5 of 7 shooting, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, no turnovers. And, I mean, noticeably came up big at important times again. There was the three-pointer, but he also he had a couple of other buckets late in the game where he just kind of shows who he is. He's He doesn't have any kind of drop-off when the stakes are high. You know, he he really, I don't want to get too into, oh, well, he tries in that situation. The pressure is what brings out the best of Malcolm Brogdon. I don't, I don't think that's true, but I think what we can say about Brogdon is he doesn't wilt under the pressure, which is 
is equally important. I think you can rely on you'll get the best of Brogdon, whatever that is, on any given night, regardless of the situation. And considering a lot of the other wild cards that are in the mix here, that's really important. And again, he was someone who, you know, helped push them over the edge in, in game six. Only Giannis, Chris, and Malcolm scored more than 10 points, and he, he matched Middleton's total with 16. So that was that was a pretty significant bonus for the books to get to. Yeah, big shot Brog. Uh, hit a big three midway through the fourth. He's had big shots all series. Uh, game one, game four. Uh, that is consistent of the series. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought he was, he really, his game five was pretty forgettable. We talked about that. But uh, he put that out of our minds. He was pretty, he was, Milton was obviously the kind of the baseline for the Bucks um, with Giannis leading the way, but Rodgers was right there with him, honestly. he And defensively, too, he made the, things much harder for guys like Jalen Brown, who I believe had his worst game of the series. Could be wrong about that, scoring-wise. I think he only had 12 points. I could be, that he might have been. 14. Did he not have less in game five? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, he definitely did have the last. I mean, I think it was the second worst outside of game five, uh, but he 14 points on 15 shots, which was not good at all. One of six from deep, which, I mean, that that's kind of an interesting thing, too. I don't, I've don't, i never fully been convinced by Jalen Brown, the three-point shooter. He certainly improved, but we've had plenty of games in this series where he has shot the lights out, and I think we're starting to see a regression to the mean for him from deep. Yeah, for sure. Um that again, you know, get shots at Game Seven and beat the Bucks, and we'll all be, you know, walking with our tails between our legs. I have a tail. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, props, props to Big Brock, <laughs> Big Brock, Big Brock. Not even Big Shot Brock. He's now just Big Brock. Props to Big Shot Brock. That's like a tongue twister. Big Shot Brock. Big Shot Brock. Yeah, I mean. He was the best, the best of any of the presidents in attendance at Game Six. I totally agree. <laughs> I, I made I made that joke on the behind the books account already, and you, you know, you just followed in and basically made the exact same joke hours later. And I was like, "How dare this guy go to the game, miss the jokes, and then come out with the, the same jokes?" But yeah, you didn't happen to meet Bill Clinton, did you? At the game? No, but I, I I believe I walked as I was exiting the arena there were certainly cadillac escalades which you don't that i mean yeah you're gonna know when you were near him yeah the motorcade but uh no i did not get to meet former president bill clinton (laughs) (laughs) did you uh if you had brought your 3d glasses i mean you could have doubled as you know secret service that's true i was never never (laughs) Um, I th- I I felt like I set you up here, but you di- you didn't meet Bill Clinton, but you did meet someone at the game. Do you want to do you want to share on that, or is this is this another element of you know Jordan's life along with your prestigious junior basketball career that we're going to keep secret from the listeners? Well, let's not talk about that part. It was not at the game. <clears throat> I had a frog in my throat after the game. Got a victory slice and also a. a a hoppy refreshment. 
Um, and as I'm walking back, I'm spot. There was this couple in front of us, and they were happy to see this person walking by on a crosswalk. And I look at him like, hmm, that guy's kind of taller. Is that a possible buck? And everybody was decked out on Bucks gear after the game, obviously flooding from the Bradley I mean, you're t- you're tall, so what, we're talking an inch taller than you? Like, somebody <laughs> might have played, you know, center as well in there. No. No. Nope, nope, nope. It was not Mark Pope. It was not Joel Prisbilla. Wasn't Joel Prisbilla this time. Okay. Infamous run-ins before. Anyway. Um, so I spot, I lock eyes, and it's none other than Sterling Brown. Rookie Sterling Brown. And I say, good game. And he said, thank you. You know, he didn't play, though, know, right? I mean, that's the one. Hey, <laughs> I don't care. It's about the spirit. I'm, I'm, like, I'm not disagreeing, but I mean... That would have been the one thing I'd have been mindful for. Racing through my mind at that time would have been, okay, what do I say to him? Because he didn't play, but I, I think I'd have gone with congratulations. It's still bring it game. home. Bring it home in game seven, Sterling. That's I, I meant to well, this is where the story gets a little off track. I say good game and thanks, and I was thinking, say I my head was thinking, say close this out, close this baby out. But my uh, reaction was to awkwardly pat him on the shoulder as I'm walking by him and immediately regret that decision. (laughs) But either way, um, to cap off the night and seeing a buck, that's that's pretty big in the flesh, out in the open, crossing by a nearby street by the Bradley Center. That was pretty cool. Did uh did Sterling manage to get a table somewhere then after that? I mean that that would be my next concern. Did did yeah, Sterling it was manage to not get at a Mexican restaurant? I don't believe. I mean, you opted for pizza, much like Yanis has opted for pizza. So you know, maybe everyone just goes pizza now. Play it safe. You know, we'll get a table. Yeah. Let's move on to the other role players. Sterling Brown wasn't one of them on this occasion, in spite of Jordan congratulating him on his performance. It's a good game. It's the game <laughs> itself. It's not him. It's the game. Um, Tom. I mean, when you talked about the rebounds and the experience that came with books rebounding, you're very much something with Tom. And it wasn't actually the rebounding as much as the passes he would then make after grabbing the rebound. That was, you know, panic-inducing stuff every single time. But. <laughs> He got seven rebounds, and I mean, he worked for them. I can kind of live with the parts that came after, particularly when they didn't cost the books. But, you know, in a, in a game where his shot didn't fall, he didn't get those shot blocks. He was in foul trouble regularly. And I, I think it's telling that the books still looked infinitely better every time Ton stepped into the game. And they had real problems when he had to come out. I mean, Giannis at center was a train wreck, an absolute train wreck in this game. Uh, it just it didn't work out. Zeller, Zeller is just kind of filling a gap, right? I mean, he really is. It's it's not necessarily his fault. He's kind of doing what he could be asked to do, but they need someone quicker on both ends. They need someone who can just offer something different, someone who'll stretch the floor offensively, someone who can be comfortable and switches defensively. And with that, it, the series has moved away from one where Zeller could make a really 
any kind of impact. I mean, much like the, the series has moved away from Greg Monroe on the Boston side of things. Um, the two teams have settled into a pattern where they're playing certain styles to match up with each other. And it's pretty tough for Zeller to have an impact on that. So Ton, in spite of not the best night of his series by any means, in terms of his numbers outside of rebounding, he still managed to have a really positive impact on the game. And the book's best moments still came with him on the floor. Yeah, I agree. He was, uh, things got, it was certainly scary for a moment. Got five fouls and that, especially that one where Jalen Brown, uh, you know, made him bite on a pump fake for a corner three. And Thon was, I mean, if that was a high jump, (laughs) he was looking to not even just block Jalen Brown's shot, but eradicate him from this universe. He was like, it was insane. Anyway, um, I thought that was when things got a little tense. Um, Certainly what you said before about Jabari possibly being the closing lineup, Thon made his case for why, you know, the Bucks, that would have been a good idea for the Bucks to do, but, they Joe Pratti still rolled him out. Who Joe Pratti, as a, as a side note, that was his best game of the series by far. Managed minutes really well. There were some weird not- things. I don't I don't know if you would have picked up on them fully. I mean, there were there was an occasion where he took Jabari out of the game for something like forty seconds and brought him back in, and it was kind of very much unexplainable. He followed that up a few minutes later by taking Yanis out for sixty seconds. And we're not really talking about like there were lots of breaks in play, so there was more rest kind of squeezed in there. I mean, we're really kind of talking 60 seconds here. And I don't know, may- hey, maybe it worked. But yeah. there, there was something particularly, I mean, that Yanis one happened in the first half. And again, um, Yanis wasn't logging heavy first half minutes. He he got plenty of plenty of room to take some, some breeders because Prunty, not quite to the extent of game five, but showed a lot of comfort in having Yanis take a seat. Um, so, I mean, there were some things, but I agree. I mean, I think... I I don't know if starting Ton is the right decision, but it worked. And I, I think maybe part of it is just, okay, we have to win this. Let's just throw a different look at them. Let's just give them a different starting lineup so they have to think of something different. And that might just be part of it at this point. Um... I, I do think you can just play Ton starters minutes, have him come off the bench, and the initial burst you get when you bring him into the game, not there from the opening tip, but when he gets to come into the game that's already in flow, I think that is worth something, and you lose that when you... Actually, I, I disagree, because okay. I think a lot of it is it's Aaron Baines. That's that's the reason you don't want him to play as much with Aaron Baines on the floor, even though there were minutes that they shared with each other um, as the game wore on. But I thought in game five in particular, having him go up against Aaron Baines kind of neutralized Thon's kind of energy enforcer, you know, type mentality. Um, and there were moments like that in game six, but it wasn't as noticeable or notable in my mind. I thought that was, you know, the fact that. Celtics have, I would assume this, I mean, it has to be their last starting lineup change because I don't know who else you'd go to at at this point, unless if you revert back to Horford and Baines, but I think that's... They could go smaller and bring Smart in. Yeah, that's true. 
They yeah. could if if they feel OJ is not, they could move. I mean, they could move Tatum to the floor. I don't really know what they've got out of Tatum or Brown defensively on Giannis. It doesn't feel like a whole lot. I don't think either guy's incapable, but I don't think they've got a whole lot. But I guess they could do that, particularly if Ton's playing, and then put, say, Tatum on Ton and Horford on Giannis. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's their benches then. I mean, <laughs> their bench just gets increasingly you know, grim if they do that. Having got Smart back to bring him in and drop Ojale out, you're I mean, you're not bringing OJ in to make an impact off the bench then. So it's it's a kind of messy one for them. I I still think, you know, Ton's best games came when Baines was actually still starting. I wouldn't I think the pros of what you get out of that Ton burst outweigh the cons of what Aaron Baines could do to him. And Look, he's battled Aaron Baines. He got in those kind of two scuffles with him. He's fought really hard against Aaron Baines. I, I know what you're saying. I mean, it's not a matchup that's there for him to win, but what's the damage that gets done in him losing that matchup versus the damage that happens otherwise in the game? I don't know. As I said, I, I don't think it's the right move, but I think Pronti probably had to do something. And the one thing that maybe a lot of people would have felt is starting Jabari. I don't know how he does that. The, on, the only logical way to do that is to bench Bledsoe. Well, that's... The... It's not happening. I mean, it's just not happening. If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Um, his minutes aren't even being reduced. But that would have been the only logical way is bench Bledsoe, move Malcolm to the one, Chris to the two. You know, I, I think that's the only way that comes to pass. And it's not happening. So in terms of other changes he could make just to kind of give a different look just to say okay we need to win and here's something we're going to do to win and i'm bringing a player in who has hurt you already and we'll see how that goes i mean it was worth whatever it was i just still don't know if that's the best use of ton i'll be curious to see how ton does in game seven if he sticks with that lineup who knows i mean we have a question on this in the mailbag um for what will be our preview episode but who knows what happens with henson we're not hearing anything about this I don't think he's playing. Neither do I, but it's kind of weird, don't you think? I mean, to not get updates. I mean, it must be bad if he's not playing in playoff games. It must be bad. I have no doubt he wants to play. But we're not hearing, like, oh, anything. I don't know if people are asking. It's because, of course, there are bigger things to ask. But it just feels weird. And I don't know. I think a lot of people have written Henson off, in a way. I doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, they lost those two games he played. Um, Henson can give them something. Uh, he can give them something more than Zeller. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this this the series is suited to him perfectly either. It's not, but he could give them something. I don't know. I we'll see. We'll see what way they turn with that. Um, also worth mentioning, Delhi um, only shot one of four from deep was really effective in moving the ball like he always is. Um, it was a noticeable change when he came onto the floor and they had someone more willing to do that and doing so very purposely. Six assists, zero turnovers, which is, you know, kind of your perfect Delhi game. It's it's what Delhi did his best would give you. Active in every other sense and passing, finding teammates for scoring opportunities without making mistakes. So, uh not a whole lot of discussion about it either during the game or after the game. He kind of, kind of, I don't know, 
blended into the background a little bit, which is how you want Delhi at his best to kind of feel on the court. But his contributions were really big. I'd also have to go back and look or think about it a little bit more. But I have a feeling quite a lot of those assists on Tianos. I mean, obviously, with the way the points broke down, that's not a it's not a big leap to take. But there is still this thing of you know, Yanis and Delhi can unlock things for each other that aren't necessarily happening with other combinations. Also worth noting, Tony Snell. I mean, um, not his most perfect shooting night by any means, but he made two shots. There were two big triples. And just seeing anything go through the basket has got to be important for Snell. And he defended well, too. I mean, uh, he played pretty well. He bounced back well. Um, I believe Mafalaskas tweeted that he, I thought it was his first triple, maybe it was the second, that you could kind of audibly hear some boos when he missed. So good for Tony Snell to then go on, make two trees, and he played pretty well overall for me. So, I mean, really what we're coming down to it, all of that is, you know, across the board, they got pretty good contributions, except for Eric Bledsoe. Um, Bledsoe started positively. He started doing some things that you could say, maybe this is finally going to be the game. And he needed to, because at that point, Terry Rozier got a really fast start. And the books had fallen behind. Things weren't looking so great. And then he just disappeared. And the things he did do were not all that good. I mean, he shot three of 10, only scored nine points, one of four from deep. Most notable of all, though, was just the completely insane passes he was turning to late in the game. The weird... It was just so reckless to flip back over his head for Ton. There was no awareness of where Ton might be. It wasn't even executed well. And he followed that up with a couple of other passes. Again, he's only credited with two turnovers. I remember more. I don't know, are some of his drives getting kind of... Are they getting classified as blocks? I don't know for the Celtics, rather than the steals. But he was coughing the ball up when he was driving. Um, his handle was loose, and I don't just mean a transition where that's often the case. I mean just generally, which is unusual. It's another bad game for Bledsoe. Yeah, um, there is. I have two points on this. Um, one, he went to the free throw line earlier in the game, and he's good for missing one at the free free throw line every trip. Um, and the scorer's table gave him two points out of that trip. I don't know if he was credited one more point than if it was correct or not, but I looked at the screen. I'm like, why are they giving him a point? He missed the shot. It was, I don't know. That was just a strange bugaboo. But there was a point. It was after he hit a three. It was like second quarter. And you see him hit the three. And I looked towards the Jumbotron. And he, he is. He was talking. He was talking, Jordan. Oh my God. He. It's honestly when his game turned the other way. Would he like. It was so fascinating because he's just jawing at Terry Rozier with every expletive in the book. And then it honestly just unspooled from there. And I. That the pass that you talk about with Thon, you know, he's uh, standing at the in the corner. And in person, I'm like, what is he doing? And then I I caught the like the the second half after when I was writing takeaways, and I reached that point. I'm like, oh my god, that's worse than I even imagined. I could oh, it, even... it was so bad. C- considering the situation you're in, 
and he's a he's a point guard. You know, it's supposed to be the position where you have the most awareness on the floor. It was awful, and I, I actually think Ton's hands. I mean, <laughs> we could talk about them a lot. Ton deserves credit for corralling that, and there's also the element if that was anyone other than Ton and his incredible length, you may not save that. If that's a Malcolm Brogdon out there, you know, good luck. It's gone. It, it was smell. just so reckless. It was unbelievable. Really yeah. was. It was. It was beyond belief. And there were just so many moments like that. Um, I, I was. I, this doesn't happen. I'm not this person. But I was watching the game and just every time I'd find myself having some sort of audible reaction, it was because of something bad Bledsoe had done. You know, anything negative. When something, I'd be just like, oh. And then I look, and who is it? It's Bledsoe. You know, there's. I I honestly don't know. I really. I can't put together, and I think there's a there's a discussion here that's going to be interesting to have after the season ends. But I see a lot of kind of a lot of the tempering any kind of positives out of what Ton's doing because people say, "Oh, well, he's only showed up for the playoffs." That is gonna have an impact on how we perceive a player, and it's not great. Saying that, it doesn't matter if you have a good regular season if you then do what Eric Bledsoe has done in the playoffs. Because the regular season only exists to decide who gets to the playoffs and see what you can do then. So I, you know, I'm fine with the Tom trajectory over the Bledsoe trajectory right now because Bledsoe is doing nothing to help his team win in this series. Nothing. Where Tom, after a season that was, I mean, a wasted season almost, and a year that we all felt, well, I mean, there would have been no way possible at the start of the series. We thought Tom was coming and have an impact. Well, he's doing things. He's making positive. He's a positive influence, just generally, in every way for his team. You've got Yanis talking about how Tom was directing him to his spots. Tom was telling him when to go, how to do things. This was fascinating on TNT because they were talking about before the game. Um, and, okay, I mean, things that, you know, Chuck and Shaq and Kenny say, right? Whatever. But they were talking about Eric Bledsoe needs to get going. He's the veteran on this team. He's the guy who knows what this is about, and he's got to show them. I mean, he knows nothing. He doesn't know anything about it. Ton Maker. Ton Maker. I was, yeah, I was going to make that joke. But uh, Ton is the guy with one year of playoff experience last year who looks like he gets this, who understands it. I mean, maybe we need to get Eric Bledsoe watching some Kevin Garnett videos. But then on the other hand, maybe that'll be the worst thing possible when we see how Bledsoe channels any kind of anger or competitiveness. He, it's in the wrong way. It's it's a very strange thing. And that's something as well that, I mean, let's say the Bucks win game seven. Do we not think there's not going to be an equivalent rivalry for Bledsoe in another series? Of course there will. Even TJ McConnell getting into fisticuffs. Of course. I mean, that's like... <laughs> If it's not TJ McConnell, it's someone. This is what happens. You play the same teams over and over in a playoff series. One, this year, any other year, with the books, any other team, I guarantee you opposing teams will target Bledsoe for that kind of treatment now. Go and annoy him. Go and annoy him, and we can win the game. Very simple instructions. And he's doing a good job proving it. But say they do win, and it is TJ McConnell he gets into it with. Like We have no reason to believe he'll do any better. Because he just doesn't seem to channel this into any kind of positive performance. He doesn't have that thing that Yanis has where, you know, 
something happens early in a game and we're all like, oh well, you know, but it's like the third or fourth quarter comes around, that guy's probably getting dunked on. That just doesn't happen with Bledsoe at all. It's the opposite. It doesn't he faces it, he faces adversity and he, he runs around with like a like a chicken with its head cut off. He was oh my god. It's not even adversity though. I don't want to say it's adversity. It's like once things get personal or he feels the, the competitive level of it. It's yeah, it's very, very strange how he how he channels that. And how he's at this point in what's I mean a relatively successful NBA career. He's been a good player, he's clearly talented. How you get to this point, how you go through college, how you go through every level of basketball, and you get to this point, and this is what happens in those kind of situations. Yeah, very strange. Um, Phoenix does strange things to a man <laughs> living in the desert. We've, uh, I think we have a lot of listeners around there, so Jordan speaks for himself and himself only. Um, Jordan, have you got anything else on Game 6? Anything else on Game 6? Talked about Clinton. Um, <laughs> no, it was... I I wasn't as hyped as I was after Game 4 because obviously the different circumstances, but that was a very, I would say, a comfortable edging out of the Celtics, if that makes sense. It was There were moments in the fourth quarter and the third quarter that I was in the prone position ready to collapse any moment and take out like a bowling ball of the people below me, which wasn't many. I'm joking. Um, but the Bucks prevailed, and we are going to game seven. Yeah. I, I can't argue with that, Jordan. We are, in fact, going to game seven. All right. That is it for us for now. We will be back with you on Saturday morning. You'll hear from us. We've got mailbag questions. We'll talk about some Game 7 basketball. And yeah, there's a lot to look forward to, a lot to be nervous about, a lot to be excited about. We're here. This is what it's about. You know, this is literally what it's about. This is why you want to get to the playoffs, to be in situations like this. And we say things like this so that at least if it all goes wrong on Saturday, we can look back and feel better about it. In the meantime, though, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, favorites, and tune in radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at Winning Six Podcast. On top of all of that, you've got mine, Jordan, the rest of the team's writing. It's available for all of you up on behindthebookpass.com. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.